ICC podcast. Cricket is back. Nothing is different and everything is the same. Cricket's most stylistically different opening partnership starts well and age is but a made-up number for Ahmed Alec as the ones and twos made hay whilst the sun shone against High Wycombe, with both sides making winning starts to their pre-seasons. In this episode, we catch up with Neil Fairburn and Ben Graves after their respective half-hundreds. And Christopher Glasper joins us with his usual positivity and tidbits from training. AJ goes educational. We finally debut Kearnsey's Corner on the podcast. And club legend Chris Peplow joins us this week for our special guest interview. He has played a little bit. My name is Mungo Russell. And like most planes, this podcast needs a loud, smiley South African co-pilot called Lee. Lee B., what episode we have lined up. You were pretty agitated last podcast. Has the week's cricket made you feel better or worse? I am just happy to be sat here chatting with you. Uh, to, to the listeners, I can only apologise for what was an outburst. But at the end of the day, if someone tells me that we're going to hear from Christian Martin, I would like to hear from Christian Martin. And I don't, I don't, begrudge, any, I don't begrudge you that whatsoever. It was... It was my mistake that we didn't manage to get Christian on. And, and I promise you that that will be rectified this episode. I have managed to find him. I have proof that he exists. And that will be near the end of the episode. But we have plenty to go through today. A couple of games of cricket that we're going to have a quick chat about. The twos away at High Wycombe, 300 runs. That's a lot. It was literally, I think someone had taken a bit of the M25, lifted it up and casually let it out in the middle of the high Wickham uh, wicket. It was flat, flat. Um, but to be fair, as pre-seasons go, um, as, a, as a bowler, uh, Glassy did bowl quite nicely up top. Um, we struggled a bit, if I'm honest, with the ball, uh, with limited options. Um, Neil Fairburn having to uh, bowl first change uh, is ridiculous. But um, Leapy got through eight overs. Can you believe it? The uh, the magical the magical knee held up. Um, yeah, but it was nice to get out. And as I was trying to say, if you if you want a preseason game and, and somewhere to play, if I were you, I'd get down to Highwick. Let's quickly discuss Ahmed Alec. Like a fine wine, he is every year churning them out. I've heard rumours that he's basically one day off the plane, goes out there with a wide brim and slaps a bumper into the trees first set. Uh, I'll talk you through it. Walk out, took guard, uh, ball pitched beautifully halfway down the wicket, onto the back foot, smack straight into the uh, into the fence at High Wycombe. And he literally just didn't stop from there. Look, very good, uh, very good mung, but... Again, having having his experience uh, and then a, a few youngsters uh, around, it's basically just showed them how it's supposed to be done. It was similar with us in the ones were very different deck, very different deck. It was as Ealing as it gets. It was pretty low, pretty slow. I tried to bowl a bumper at one stage and it only just made it to the batter on just before the second bounce. A bit loopy, maybe. Um, but... After Scott Anson dropped out, Alex fell, Swans in, eight overs, one for 15. Bit of an easy game. Legendary, absolutely legendary fell. He's a great, great boy, good player. Nice bowler, actually. Really, really nice. I will say, I knew it was going to be a good day when the youngs got one over the olds at warm-up football. Oh, that's always great, isn't it? Wait, wait, which, which bracket do you fall under now, man? No, no, still very much a young. I'm actually still the second youngest player on the side, I think. Mm, fair enough. Uh, and talking of young players, Robbie Connolly, 
back after in the ones after a couple of years out with some knee injuries. Lovely to see. Times the ball very nicely. Uh, how, quick is this, how quick is his run, though? Come on. Wow, he is slow. Yeah. Okay. He is slow. I mean, I know the grass hadn't been cut that short at the ECC, but bloody hell, Robbie Connolly does struggle to get around the park. I remember, I remember his tidbits from training interview with you uh, last week, Mung, and he said he, he was pretty confident that he was going to be a lot quicker this year. And um, yeah, the harsh reality is, Robbie, is uh, you're slow, mate. The other thing I'd like to touch on is... Um, is the real the real stylistic differences that we get when when Ben Graves opens the batting with Oliver Wilkin? Uh, I think they put on something like fifty for the first wicket and six overs, and Gravesy had scored four of them. Um, Oliver Oliver went off like a train. It's exactly the same. He stands there and he hits he hits the ball a long way. Um, but Gravesy got there in the end. Was it Hare and the tortoise? Uh, the, the tortoise gets seventy not out, wins us the game. Uh, well done, Gravesy. Very well batted. He crowded them everywhere. Um, unbelievably boring to watch. Well done. To be fair, if Rory was batting with him, he would have made his four and then probably got out anyway. So it's a good thing Gravesy was there. It is a good thing Gravesy was there. And the other thing that I wanted to mention, are so many things, so many things from this weekend of cricket. Batters don't learn. They will never learn. Ben Graves doesn't spin the ball. And before he came on this year, we were like, are they going to have worked it out this year? Are they going to have worked it out? And the first ball slides down the leg side wide. Like, well, surely if there's ever an indicator that he's not going to turn one. And then anyway, he got three for... Standard. A standard Gravesy, isn't it? The, non, the non-turning spin bowler is the most dangerous at Eden Group Club. Fact. Exactly. Time to throw ourselves over to tidbits from training. This was our first proper outdoor net session and there was a lot of us there Thursday night 16 17 ones and twos players and it was it was a real success there's a massive drive this year to get more people down to train and get us all hitting more balls bowling more balls we think that's going to make a big difference to our season and so we caught up with with Ealing's happiest man it's Christopher Glasper surely you would think that an array of nets some redone changing rooms have put him in a good mood let's hear from him can you get out please we're conducting an interview. <laughs> I'm here with Christopher Glasper. Glass, there's been a couple of changes around the club this year. We've got some new nets, we've got some new changing rooms in as a stalwart to the club. I'd like to get your, your initial opinions. How, how are the nets out there? Well, I mean, I'm not one to give my opinion um, unless asked. So um, let's start with the nets. I thought uh, they were really nice, actually. Um, they were a little bit slow, but uh, probably a bit like the wicket, a little bit slow and low. Was a bit slippy though. Um, yeah, lots of lots of lanes. Would uh, like a few more ball machines, I think, uh, just to work on my batting a little bit. But um, yeah, the nets, I thought they were good. Still a little bit upset that they called it uh, the Damon Wilson um, uh, nets and not the Christopher Glasper nets. Um, and it just in general, not like one lane either, just like the whole. You would like the whole, the whole thing. thing the Glasper complex would yeah, have been a nice I name. Think my best bowling is actually done in the nets, so um, I thought it would have been fitting. Um, and then the second one, yes, there's been some um, changes made to the change rooms, and I think um, I thought I was going to be pretty impressed with it, but actually I've left feeling pretty irate and angry. Um, That's unlike you. I know. Um, I had a probably 2008 TV. Um, I think it was from Cams actually, and I installed it, and that is not there. I said run a cable in for the sky. That wasn't done. Um, the lights. Are, am I allowed to swear or not? No. No, we don't. Right. Okay, I'll just keep that myself. Um, 
the lights are uh, bright. It's Vibrant. Like, yes, maybe, it's yeah. like a doctor surgery in there. Um, and there was a lot of pictures of me around actually I don't know where they've gone um, but I would like to probably have them and also I was told to take my uh, uh, kit out the locker um, yet nothing has happened to the locker so I was yeah just a little bit confused as to why that was the case so you don't um, have much to say about them really no 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 like you say I don't like to you know to dwell yeah I don't, yeah yeah it's not like me to criticise anything um, but um, the the just, just actually, because I normally say a lot about the teas, but actually the food tonight was mm. uh, very nice, and Sue was nice enough to give me an extra uh, garlic n- uh, naan bread. Well, that's really very nice. kind of her. Yeah, very nice. And, and on that TV, we will, be, we will be putting out those missing posters uh, that you see. Glasses TV, 2008. Mm. Um, it's Maybe Cabs' TV. Cabs' TV. TV. It might be Cabs' TV. Anyway, it's rectangular, and uh, it yeah, has a little stand. Look. Yeah. But it doesn't have Sky. I said run Sky Cable. Anyway. Oh, no. Anyway. Anyway. Glass, thank you very much for your time. We'll be catching oh, up. Was, was it already to mourn? That was the only reason that you needed me to, 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 to speak. No comment. Oh, okay. Fine. Okay. Time to hear from Kernsey. Now, Kernsey's Corner is a segment that we've been talking about for a while. Kernsey is, he, oh, he's got a, a lovely melodic voice and we just thought it would be impossible that we couldn't have his opinions, his forthright opinions on the podcast. And so here we hear from him as a little start of the season special to get us going for what we're going to get throughout the year. Well, what do you want me to do? Oh, Kenzie, I just want you to speak. Okay. <laughs> so, Kenzie, this year we, we have this segment on the podcast that we're going to be that we're going to be coming that we're going to be coming to you with every now and again. It's going to be Kernsey's Corner. Might not be every week, but it's going to be during the season, during a game, or something. Someone might come to you on the boundary rope and get your opinion on on what's going on on the pitch. Is, is that something you're excited about? Oh, I'm very excited about that, and I do have opinions. You do yeah. have opinions. You do have opinions. <laughs> have you been keeping this winter? This winter, yeah, I've been okay, except that I've got a personal problem with my prostate. And it's causing me a small bit of problem that I have to go and pee more than I wanted to pee. And uh, now it's now being diagnosed that I have got prostate cancer. No, cancer. I'm so sorry I didn't know that. No, it's it's all right. Not everybody dies from prostate cancer. Well, that's pretty good. good. The plus points about prostate cancer is I've got to have some hormone treatment so I will develop breasts. Right. And the thing is, because and, 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 and I, I'm non-binary, so mm. and that, so I'm fine as far as that well, goes. wonderful. Well, yeah, that, that's definitely a positive. Yeah. That's a positive. Um, but is that is that's not is that going to keep you from from the games any stage? Because are we going to be seeing you as? Well, I'm hoping that it will not keep me from. Any games. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Okay, I think this is a good chance to, to hear from you. Like, what's your favourite game to go to in the season? What's your favourite away grounds to go and travel to? Uh, I like Finchley. I like uh, Teddington because I like Bushy Park. I'll tell you the ones I don't like. Yeah, do, do. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to the North Middlesex games all that only because it's too far away probably definitely and uh, I think North Middlesex is probably the worst ground in the whole world in my opinion in the whole world yeah definitely like the players are very good and they, it, it, it's but as far as the club is concerned and the the dimensions and everything it, it's not a cricket ground. we're we're totally spoiled here because we have the best 
club in London or in mm. in the world, probably. But uh, uh, definitely, uh, North Middlesex is my least favourite. And if there was one thing that we could have from this summer, Kernsey, what what would you be what would you be after? Well, we have to win the national. The national. We have. I've been. In, I'm in a fortunate position that we have. I've witnessed Ealing winning everything: the arrogance, the class, the beauty of the whole lot has been absolutely wonderful. We had a great opportunity that we could have fielded eleven Colts, and we might have won the league, but we wouldn't have been relegated. Mm. And tell me another club that could do that. Mm. Uh, but we've got, we're going through a transition. But as a man of my age, I want to win the national. Because that's the, the, the prize. And last year we had a great opportunity. We had home doors all the way. Mm. And I wanted the players, and I said to Christian, make a commitment mm. to play. If you can't play on Saturday, make a commitment for a Sunday, make a commitment. And that's what I want the players to do. Kenzie, it's been lovely to hear from you and look forward to hearing from you more and more as we go through the year. Good. Thank you. Thanks, Kenzie, for your time on a Thursday evening. He did say, actually, when I saw him on Saturday, that he regretted not saying that he did really like going to Richmond as well. That was the ground he came up to me. He was worried that, that they'd feel left out. So... To be fair, Kenzie, I mean, he's a great chap, isn't he? It's going to be nice to hear from him uh, as the season rolls on and... Uh, He's, he's blunt, straight-talking uh, <laughs> character is going to, uh, I'm sure, depending on how the season goes, uh, the listeners will will enjoy what he has to say. Uh, so, yeah. Talking of straight talkers, it is time for AJ's Word of the Week. Now, this is a man who does not mince his words, and this week is no different. Lee, once again, tell our listeners what we're getting from AJ. So I went up and saw uh, AJ um, yesterday. He was on his uh, Easter... Um, caravan rally which uh which he, he absolutely loves and he's got loads of friends that he he catches up with over there um so we were in the caravan i asked him what his word of the week was and this is what he said my word of the week is book thanks aj time to hear from a couple of the chaps who did well this weekend in the ones and twos times to get match roundups from neil fairburn and bang graves throwing it over to you mungo and lee Fezzy, good day out with the two, sounds like from today. Yeah, awesome fun. Forgot the football up front. That brought a few uh, angry remarks, but luckily Lee Parry was in the ranks. He got handed uh, warm-up duties. All started nicely. I'll, t- I'll tell you something, Mungo. What did happen in the pre-match talk today was Fez, his, his line, his motivational line was, if you don't want to play at Ealing, go away. I quite like it. Look, at the end of the day, it's, it's, when you're a leader, it's about being direct, right? And, and I was just trying to get a nice point over to the boys. I did also tell them to not bowl any extras, of which I bowled 13 in about two overs. True. Um, if they weren't so useless, I wouldn't have had to have bowled, though. So there is a slight defence. I mean, yeah, you scored 50 on today, but I think it's very important to start with the fact that you came on at first change. I love a leader that takes responsibility. 
Well, yes, and it was actually quite funny because Lee Parry didn't know the rules. And when I said, do you want to bowl after 10 overs? He said no, me thinking that it was to do with the condition of the ball. I give it to someone else to have a little bit of a trundle first. He didn't realise it was four, and at all times I bowled one over and said, ready when you ask it. <laughs> it's <laughs> a which, true story. Of which I told him to kindly pee off. I'll bowl my five, and you can bowl after me. And actually, my figures weren't that badly. If you take my extras out of it, it was like Mungo, Rusko, Russell West. Any polls, Fez? No, but... No, it didn't even come close. There was no need for a book there. <laughs> it was... It was... It was a... It was a nice five overs to watch. As in, as in, if 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 pre-season five overs were up there and Carlsberg did them, they were great. <laughs> and I've never played at High Wycombe. Can you describe for me what the ground's like? I mean, a lot of runs out there today. Yeah, flat as a pancake. Ahmed Elek went out there, masterclass, just cutting, timing it beautifully off the back foot. A lot of things going along the floor, which was nice pre-season. And um, we had a few big bombs, so there's a roundabout, that, and there's a Ford garage just out the other side of the ground. They got peppered by um, Yardev, uh, Tom Jones hit one on the roof. Um, yeah, it was a great batting display, 320 on the board, so we're pleased with that, but it was an absolute road. It was, it, and it, mm, the bowling was quite, you know, nice, let's say. What, what was nice to see, Fezzi, was the, the, the mix of sort of, you know, the, the old crew and some youngsters coming through, which is something we, we pride ourselves here on uh, at the club. And um, hopefully, you know, going forward, the twos will be that feeder into the ones. And, you know, the chat we had after the game was making sure that we had, we had game plans and, and, and everyone was on board with the philosophy of, of win this year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's two, two sorts of discussions with the youngsters, isn't there? There's the cricket ones on the field and there's the life ones off of it, which... Uh, you know, Lee Parry's very good at and uh, everyone finds their direction when they get involved with the club. So, yeah, nice little bit of balance. We'll try to carry that on through the season, I think. And I think it's a nice way to, for boys to get some confidence. And, you know, we're acting as an entry to senior cricket and also, you know, we want to get guys in form and feeding the first team. Definitely, definitely. And that that comes with consistency as well. And there's been a lot of a lot of chat at the beginning of the year amongst, amongst the senior sides about trying to get a consistency of people down at training and selection and... And having people playing plenty of games, as you say, if you don't play for eating, go away. It means that the people that are going to stay, it's going to form a really strong core again, which is something I think a lot of people are excited about. It's not necessarily if you don't want to play, go away. It's more about we're hungry, we're fighting, we want commitment, you know, and, and those types of things breed. Um, and it's, it's the direction of the club, isn't it? So, yeah, if you don't like it, go and play down on Bryant Beach. I mean, the only positive is, is and Mungo will agree on this, is having a, a second team captain that we can actually talk to and touch base with. Base with. Um, Fez, have you, have you seen Christian about or? Well, I attended like a selection meeting on Thursday. I didn't see him. I tried calling him and stuff. And we just, at the end of the day, I just went with my team. So I've not really heard from him either. But, um, you know, there's two games to go. I'm hoping we can touch base before Stanmore away because I just need to know what's going on. His silence is worrying and, and it is deafening. And, well, we hope to hear from him. But we've said that since the beginning. And if it's not this Saturday, hopefully it's next Saturday. Next Saturday, looking forward to, to that. That's away at Henley for you, lads? That's away at Henley. I'll probably what I'll do is I'll post my team through his letterbox and just hope I get some correspondence mm. back. Maybe he'll reply, Fiona might call me or something. But I just need some reassurance over, you know, what I've got, what resources are available. Well, fingers crossed we get those, Fairzy. Thanks for catching up with us and, and well done today on a cracking start to the year. Cheers, boys. Sterling job. Crazy. First game, pre-season. Yeah. 
some runs, a long day in the heat. Long day. Long, long day. Those last 10 overs of, of their innings dragged. Longest 10 overs of my life. Mm. Although I think Lawsy found them longer. Shell of a human. Shell of a human. He did, he did slide down the order. Lawsy started today. It was, <laughs> oh, I might bat five. Scott wasn't going to be there. Pushed up. No, he did. No, he's bleed over here. Monday. Obviously, um, you've called me into the room to chat to the man of the moment, and now we're talking about Lawsy. Right, I think we should crack. We're also crack talking on. about Mungo. Exactly. But Mungo does like to talk about Mungo. <laughs> I mean, no, welcome to my life. Yeah. Uh, thoughts, thoughts. Mm. Obviously, not being here playing in the twos today. Uh, thoughts on the the wickets. Would you Would you like to give the grounds on Ollie Wilkin a mark out of ten on on, on how things may improve? Um, well, their players were disappointed. Do you, quote Do you have to play on this crap every week? Ooh. Um, but I scored seventy nine, so it can't <laughs> be too bad. <laughs> it was It was slow. It was slow. It was slow. It was slow. I mean, Mungo bowled a, a triple bouncer, bouncer. After bounced a couple of those bounces, but after it got to the batter, yeah. You tried to bowl a bouncer at Ealing. I did, yeah. Normally, it gets zero like fine at Ealing, like quite slow. But this one, honestly, like yeah, it, it dribbled through to Milo. I don't think Milo would have taken it if he was standing up. <laughs> oh, I love that, Crazy, As you've done well today, who are who do you think are, are the other players to watch? Obviously, you you were out there making it look easy. Players to watch. Uh, let's go players to watch, and mm. who do you think is just not going to cut it? <laughs> oh gosh, um, well, Christian won't cut it, no doubt. <laughs> Um, he's plinking it and, and, and lost most of his stumps during the Thursday net session which was very enjoyable uh, Robbie Conley one to watch two, two best shots of the day just lent on ones through cover point um, doesn't say much but it's always enjoyable batting with him um, yeah talk us through your conversations in the middle is it, is it, is it exciting is it, is it plan of action is it silence conversations are stretch um, I think I'm offering 95% of the chat um, but um, but if he just whacks it through cover point, then I'm happy. You know, I've always wondered what it's like batting with with Oliver, with Oliver Wilkin. Obviously, yeah. he's quite an individual and has a bit of a master blaster. We've said on the pod before. What do you say in the middle after he's just whacked on for twenty in the set or something? Um, I told him that he was holding the strike. Um, Fair. That was my turn. Fair. Um, I did feel a bit demasculated. Is that a word? Emasculated, yeah. Emasculated. I like demasculated, though. We might keep using we could, that. We could work with that. Love I, that. I was 4-4, um, four, four, and the score was on 46. Um, but I hadn't faced any deliveries because he was holding the strike. But I did ask him when his wedding was going to be, uh, and he said it was the 23rd of September 2023, which feels quite far down the line, and he thinks he might delay it another year next year and keep doing that for a few years. So. I mean, that's if he's still with Jess, obviously. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That, that, that's a... Anyway, Gracie, yeah, great chatting to you and well done. <laughs> Looking forward to the season chat. <laughs> that's all I've got. Wonderful. And briefly, Gracie, I guess we should probably talk about your runs as well. Yeah. Easy out there? Um, no. Um, easy on the eye? No. Um, easy for the opposition? No. Easy for me? No. Um... Easy for third man, yeah. Lots of runs to third man, but um, it goes down the book, doesn't it? Well, I mean, I guess the eternal question in preseason is like, how much do these runs count? Are you peaking too soon? But I guess you'd prefer to start with seventy than not start with seventy. You would, yeah. Um, but I did score runs last preseason, which didn't translate into um, much success in the season. Um, I also got sledged by the umpire after the game. 
um, just now. And he was like, well battered today. And I said, thank you. But before I could really reply, he was like, did you not think about being a bit more aggressive? <laughs> and I was like, no. <laughs> no. Um, so it's always good to get some advice when you do well, as well as when you do badly. Well, to more crudded 70s. Gracie, thanks very much, mate. Pleasure. More to come. Good to hear from those two. It's now time for Stat of the Week. And as we've moved outdoors, I think it's important that we that we start thinking about how people are going to do outdoors in the outdoor season. And we have to learn from our mistakes and from our tough times. And so this week's Stat of the Week is referring to, to a batter in the threes last year. Home form is obviously going to be crucial for all the sides this year, and this is how not to do it. In games at Popesfield HQ last year, Rory Patel's top score was four runs. Best learned from that, everyone out there. Now it's time for our special guest, and as always, we start with the stats. Now, unfortunately, the stats you're about to hear aren't really all that. 202 games, 537 wickets, a 17.21 of the league isn't much. And 31 fifers and a disappointing six sevenfers. Best of just seven for 19. Nothing to really talk about. On top of all that, he's just the ninth highest run scorer in league history with 3,790 runs and an average of 31.58. 24 fifties and one ton. All of that notwithstanding, he's only got 360 wickets for Berkshire at 17 flat. 56 first class bowl for Middlesex. Countless Middlesex league titles, a whole host of national titles with Berkshire adding to his two with Ealing. But all is not lost. Along the way, he has coached at least four promising John Lyon sides. Chris Peplo, Peps, welcome to the ECC podcast. Wow, what an introduction that was. Um, not sure I've got much to add. Uh, should we just end the podcast there? Yeah, that was really nice. Thanks, mate. Thanks for coming. Really pleasant. <laughs> not a great conversion rate of seven fers into eight fers in the league, Peps. Is that something you've been working on in your years since Ealing? Uh, do you know what? Um, I would never remember any of those stats until you reeled them off. Um, my best memories of uh, playing for Ealing is, you know, just a decade of making some friends um, and uh, enjoying the cricket along the way. Um, you know, the, the the personal milestones just come from the environment that we created um, through, you know, countless numbers of fantastic players that I got to play with along the way. I remember fondly, actually, is that uh, selection used to happen on a Thursday, wasn't it, Peps, um, for the weekend uh, before. And I think uh, Holty and Beast, they used to always only pick 10. Um, and we were always waiting for that phone call on a Friday evening to find out if Peps had finished his game <laughs> with Middlesex. Because without fail, um, he would drive from anywhere in the country that he was just to be at the uh, the ECC on a Saturday morning to be with the boys. Um, and it's the one thing I'll just never, ever forget. And the, the excitement uh, that used to, uh, to to ring around the change room, knowing that uh, a certain Mr. P, P. Peplo or C. Peplo, Peps as we called him, was bombing down the M1 at three o'clock in the morning just to get to the ECC on time. Yeah, good times, uh, hectic times. But, um, you know, the club was uh, thoroughly part of my makeup, you know, part of my DNA. Uh, I've got so much to thank Ealing Cricket Club for and um, it stabbed me in good stead to go on to bigger and better things. But I've got lots of other people to thank for that because not only if I couldn't drive, there'd be a certain beast uh, who would pick me up from different sort of um, 
places around the country to ensure that I was there on a, on a, on a Saturday morning. But it, it was it was easy decisions for me. Uh, I love playing with the lads. Uh, it's the place where I hone my skills. And like you say, we had great success, which made turning up on a Saturday extremely easy. Is that one of the abiding bits of professional cricket you think that gets lost? Like the sheer amount of driving and travelling you to do at awkward hours and times? Yeah, I think times have changed a bit now. Um, you know, a lot more coaches and the, and the team going as a collective unit. Um, whereas back in my day, yeah, I mean, we could play a, a four-dayer in Durham and need to be sort of playing a one-dayer in Taunton. Um, and if you're not doing particularly very well, which is often the case for me at that level, you know, it could be a lonely drive on the M1 late at night thinking, what's what's life all about? But, you know, it's never that kind of drive coming back to ECC where you're surrounded by your mates and your family and all the people and all the things you're familiar with and, uh, and, a, and a great environment to go and thrive in as a cricketer, whether you're professional or an amateur. And how, how old are you when, when you started? This is something we asked, asked Dave as well last week. But I think it's quite nice to sort of base this conversation in how, like, just how long you were there. So I joined dealing as a 10-year-old, um, state school lad, no cricket in my school. Very fortunate that actually it was David Holt's mother who introduced me to the club. Uh, I used to enjoy smashing around the playground, playing rounders. She said, why don't you try and come and play a bit of cricket? And sort of the rest is history, if you like. So started as a cult. Uh, God, you know, sort of 91 or something like that, and then made my first team debut in 97 um, when we won the league. Um, and then the league was split the following year and we got relegated. So it was sort of a real baptism of fire, you know, a taste of success in the ones in 97, then followed by relegation. And, and then that was sort of the, the start of the, that decade of dominance that we sort of put together. And were you always, was it always spin first? Was it, were you always a, bo a bowler first? Or at that stage of your life, when you were a cult, was it very much, were you one of those people that just did both as much as you could? No, I was definitely a left arm seamer to start off with. Um, fortunate again, when I started out as a junior, that I, I was straight into sort of the Middlesex pathway stuff. Um, and I was, you know, in and out. And then at 13, they sort of said to me, you're never going to make it as a seamer. Why don't you bowl spin? Uh, which I was never coached to do. So I just basically bowled very slow, left arm, <laughs> round the wicket, grenades, really. Um, but as I've always been told as a youngster, if you do it with your left hand, it's gold dust. Um, you know, the, the fact that it goes away from uh, the right-handed bat stands you in good stead. And, I, you know, I was fortunate to play in some really good teams and have someone um, in the Middlesex age group called Ben Scott, who went on to play for the county as well. Fantastic wicketkeeper. And nine times out of ten, I'd just let go of the ball and I'd have five stumpings by the end of the game. So I didn't really have much to do with it. I've probably got him a lot to thank for my successes through the uh, junior county setups. Such a joke, bowling spin, isn't it, Lee? Like, we charge in, put everything through it, and we might as well just lob it up above the eye line and get the same number of wickets. More, many more. I don't know if you've noticed, that's exactly what I do now, and I should have done it years ago. Yeah, Jen's just been burgling a living for the last 30 years, lads. <laughs> just blame all those batters. So as, as the 2000s went on and Ealing sort of grew and grew and grew as a side, Something I'm interested in is which of those is there one of those years maybe if that that seven year stretch where you, where you thought you guys were completely untouchable where that like one year in particular where you thought that was the year where we really peaked. 
Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I thought we were formidable <laughs> all the way through, to be honest. I always had the mentality that I was surrounded by 10 other very talented cricketers, um, all with a very uh, similar mindset and common goal. You know, those are the days where you gave up 18 Saturdays and Sunday through the season uh, without fail. Um, and we had a great conveyor belt, you know, so... Yeah, it was probably through my prime years as a player, but there was always someone um, doing better than than you were. So I was a senior figure um, that that dragged you along with them, and then there was the youngsters pushing you to be better, and that sort of rubbed off on them. So I think that's what kept longevity of it, and what made me feel like we were such a formidable force for such a long period of time. You know that that common goal. Um, and it wasn't just 10 other blokes, you know, there was, there was guys in the twos that were pushing. Um, and, you know, if, if you weren't committed enough to give up your Saturdays and Sundays and, you know, your teammates would not look down on you, but, you know, you knew that everybody you were standing shoulder to shoulder with on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday in a cup game it was singing from the same hymn sheet. And, and I think that's so powerful and what, what made us so successful for such a long period of time. And, you know, the, you're talking to me as a an ex-professional, but you know the club prides itself or has prided itself on really producing some phenomenal players. Whether they, you know, go on to uh, play professional cricket or just have a really strong uh, club career uh, or play some minor counties, you know that that period of time we had, you know, wealth of some seriously talented players. You know, whatever level that they were they were performing their skills at. On that point, you make. Um perhaps Beast and uh, Holty actually brought that up, is that during that sort of seven-year period, like none of us ever took a weekend off, uh, mainly because, one, we wanted to play, and two, that point you make as well is that, you know, we're a little bit, maybe not you so much, but the guys were not, not scared, but you, you you might have lost your place if you didn't rock up on a weekend, but it just meant, it meant so much to us to be able to play for that team, and you actually felt like if you did go away for the weekend... You missed out. And um, I love the fact that we were just such a tight unit. Having said that, if there was a guy missing whatever, the club was so strong that anyone that came up from our twos just slotted in quite nicely as well. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's, uh, for me, the the testament to a good club, isn't it? You want, you want that pressure um, to perform, that pressure to be committed uh, to the season. Um, but also, in, you know, it was that, that, sort of created a great environment but it wasn't one that was nasty you know everybody enjoyed each other's successes you know so as a collective unit you didn't mind if it was so and so doing it on this day and so and so doing it on that we you know we as all 11 we were winning is healthy and it's infectious but it it drives everybody to enjoy each other's performances as well and you know you knew if it wasn't your week this week that perhaps it was next week but you definitely didn't want to jump off that crest of the wave and and put yourself at risk of of missing out or somebody else taking a slot the way i see it perhaps you've sort of been involved in two sides like that really that ealing side and then the barcher side of sort of 2014 through 2021 really um with last year when you and and the Morris brothers both retired from minor counties stuff. I guess what I would love to know, I'm sure others would as well, what are the qualities that those sides shared, you think, 
but also are there any points where you think you can split them or where like that was slightly different across both? Maybe it's a, a generational thing, like sort of a half generation apart, perhaps? Look, ultimately, if you're winning, you've got talented players. You know, you've got a good player pool. Uh, and again, I'll harp on about it, but that common goal and that self-belief uh, to win games um, when perhaps you look like you might be losing. Um, but the the understanding of all the teammates around you, that they are fully committed to everything that you're doing. And look, not to sort of say in my day, because uh, I'm still playing, um, but definitely commitment these days doesn't seem to be on par with what, what we had back in that dominant era. Um, you know, life changes and I understand that. But, you know, for me, for both those sides, um, the common, common themes were talented, committed players that truly believed in one another's abilities. And that sees you through, you know, because even in the times that Ealing won uh, lots, there were games where it looked like we we're going to lose, but somebody stood up. Uh, and that was the same for Berkshire over the sort of five years that we won national uh, honours every single year, is, you know, somebody else doing it week in, week out. Everybody thrived and enjoyed each other's performances um and there was that belief and winning winning breeds that that you know you, you're going to win somebody next to you will stand up uh, even if you're having a terrible day and that that's that's so powerful i would say just having joined that barcher dressing room myself quite late on in the process for those last two years it was immediately striking at the level of confidence in the room and the first two long games I played, first two, three days I played, we were behind the eight ball after day one twice. And nobody blinked once in the dressing room. We we're much better than the blokes were playing. And we're going to show that over three days. We're going to show that over the period of time that we get that we get here. And we just aren't going to panic. And we know someone's going to stand up. And I, I imagine that sort of confidence was there in, in that Ealing dressing room as well, Lee. It's just a strange feeling. I'd mentioned this to um, Beast when we spoke to him about it. It's it's knowing your role, one, and knowing what the team is, is capable of. And like Pep says, on any given day when we used to rock up to a game, somebody would put their hand up. But it wasn't even a case of putting your hand up. We did it because we loved each other. We spent the, the hours on the ground because we wanted to. And we fought till the very last ball, as Holty mentioned last week, to win you know a league title with a, with a team nine down and taking a diving catch. You sport just those magical moments just make, make you keep keep wanting to play the game and, and, and keeps you together. Yeah, just to jump on the back of Lee there quickly, um, you know there there were many occasions I can remember winning nine down, you know, or taking that game into the last. 20 overs on a, on a Saturday, you know, and they're, they're five down, but you still bowl them out in the last over. And, and I think, like I said, that, that self-belief, that camaraderie um, and that desire for everybody to do well and appreciate one another's achievements was, is, like I say, and I'm repeating myself, but so, so powerful. You speak of us being nine down, Pips. I'd like to take you back to a game that me and you played at Hampstead when we were nine down. Would you like to explain? Well, this was before the, I used to, you know, before you heard the name of three doors down and, and, and figured out which end of the bat you could hold, Lee. But um, I think the first team were away 
playing St. Just in the National. So they, obviously it's a mammoth journey uh, and they decided to break that up with a night out in Devon somewhere and left myself, myself, you and a few others to take on the might of Hampstead. And we got to the point where I think we were nine down. I was about 70 odd not out. We had the winning draw. Um, but we needed, we, six, needed, we needed six to win. Yeah, six to win six, off the last over. Yeah, six to win off the last ball, but we had the winning draw. And Paul Weeks had everybody on the boundary apart from short leg. And I had the guy who turned out to be one of the biggest hitting uh, Africans in the Premier League, League Perry, stood at the other end. And I ran down the week to, uh, wicket to Weeksie and had a little bit of a mare and popped it to the one fielder short leg and we lost so, <laughs> uh, but that was when Barry didn't know which end to hold it in my defence um, you know any other situations I would have taken a one much earlier in that over and watched him bop that into the tennis courts at Hampstead and we would have walked off uh, winners rather than very very sore losers that day especially myself that was a bitter bitter pill to swallow you talk about situations and and that I guess as a spinner, there are a couple of sort of stock situations that a lot of people find themselves in, like second innings in an all-day game, trying to bowl a side out being one. Is I imagine that's something that you must have faced hundreds of times now in all-day cricket, in league cricket. Is that what what were the situations as a spinner that you really enjoyed? Like, is it those one-on-one battles you have with people, or is it those knowing you have like, that period of time to bowl? I loved bowling. I loved Working a batsman out, I love bowling in any situation. Um, I just love the challenge, the fight. Um, you know, you have to, as a spinner, enjoy the fact that, you know, you're going to get whacked out of the park, but, you know, you, you got the next ball, you can you can make them look ridiculous and they're walking back to the pavilion. Um, there was never really one situation that I thrived in more than any. Um, but I just loved and felt once that ball was in my hand, I was in control of the game and I could really cause some sort of impact. And and that's sort of what drove me forwards. You know, I was always wanting that ball in my hand, whether it was a cup game or a league game, you know, because I knew I could make some sort of impact. I, I, I was a terrible spectator. Um, and the fact that being a spinner, you bowled a lot of overs meant I was in a game a hell of a lot of the time. Obviously stood at slip and batted somewhere in the middle. Well, batted all over but largely in the, in the middle order so never really out the game and and that for me was vitally important um and was sort of my motivation just to be the linchpin of of a performance for the boys as and when was called on i have another good story for you mungo if you want to hear it about a certain mr chris peplo um when he used to bowl he used to send myself and ollie wilkin back to long on and long off um and myself and those had a decent reputation for not dropping any catches. And it got to the stage where if uh, Peps would bowl a ball and the batter would smash it into the air, sort of towards long and long off. We had this thing where we used to, if if we take a wicket, and I think the guys still do it, you take your hat off in respect to the to the bowler and a congratulations and a sign of respect for getting the wicket uh, when the wicket was taken. Peps decides, though, that as soon as the ball goes in the air and starts flying towards myself and Ollie, he would start celebrating straight away. And he'd be running towards us as the ball is on its way down from its peak. 
Uh, and luckily, I think most of the time, maybe all of the time, it always went safely into the hands. But I'll never forget, as the ball goes up in the head, just going, just hearing a, yeah, come on! <laughs> Before anyone has taken a catch, and he's running, celebrating like he's won the World that's Cup. That's how much faith I had in you boys, you know? Didn't let me down. Definitely didn't let me down very often, that's for sure. Oh, good times. <laughs> So this next question is sort of in the wake of, of the news that we've had over the past past, past few past few days about the death of Shane Warne. And so obviously people have been speaking a lot about, about him and, and what made him so great. And Mark Nicholas wrote a really nice piece about his aura and how he used that really. And obviously like it's a little different, it's a different stage, but you obviously garnered such a reputation in the Middlesex League and, and with Berkshire. It's, were you aware of how people perceived you when you bowled? And to what extent did you try and use use that? I don't think you can one compare me to Warney in any way, shape, or form, but I, I get the your question. Um I I think I was more aware of my ability, you know, and that comes with experience and success. Um you know, the, the better you do for the uh, greater length of time, the, the more you back your own abilities and, and know what you're capable of. And, you know, playing in the same league over and over again, um, I don't think it's necessarily my reputation or my aura, but the clubs and the team's aura. You know, that yeah, it's not until you get a bit older in your years and you, you talk to guys that you did battle with on the field so many years in a row, Um that you're now having beers within the bar in a much more friendly way. And they sort of say, we never beat Eland. And you, 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 I don't really think about it like that, but there were so many teams that did never beat us in, in that sort of period of time. Um, and that, that was the teams or the clubs or, and that was a collective environment or atmosphere uh, that we all created. And I was just a small part of that. You speak about battles, any, any battles that you've particularly enjoyed over the years? Probably mainly with my own teammates <laughs> or with senior management within the club. Probably they're some of the biggest battles. No, I mean, just, yeah, every game was a battle to me. Every game was, you know, that was my my theatre, my place, my space. Um, and every game, you know, I just wanted to go to battle and do the best I could. Um, and... Like I said, I mean, it, without sounding arrogant, we did, we've did we done so much. Um, it's hard to single out one specific um, battle in particular, but there's, you know, some real cherries on the cake in terms of winning national competitions for Ealing, which was always something they wanted to do, is holds a, you know, huge place uh, in my achievements. So I guess it would be remiss of us not to mention your coaching. I'm wondering how... The coaching that you that you do, you've done it for such a long time now. How is the enjoyment in coaching different from playing? And what what where what's the real enjoyment in coaching for you? Is it you is it the team you're coaching doing really well as a whole? Is it seeing individual improvement in people that you've spent a lot of time with? Um, well, I'm currently in the middle of my level four, uh, which I'm thoroughly enjoying. Um, and like in anything, it's personal growth and development, isn't it? And I think my journey as a coach is evolving and should always evolve um you know i've sort of done the player coach role uh, at ealing and now currently the master in charge of cricket at school uh, in harrow which I, I i love and i thrive in and i think once you come out of professional cricket sometimes there's a 
there's a period of time where you've got to sort of redefine yourself because you're no longer Chris Peplow, the cricketer. So for me, it was very natural to go into coaching as I was remaining within a game that I love and um, similar lifestyle and um, sort of, you know, pass on the knowledge that I've acquired and f from so many wise people at Ealing over the years, so many great mentors and coaches that I've had time uh, to, uh, to learn from and great players that I've stolen bits and pieces from over the years. And I find myself in a great position of privilege to be able to impart that uh, on the next generation as a career. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy. Obviously, working with you, Peps, it's, it's always a, a pleasure to see you in the net. And um, you talk us through your, your celebration that you do every time you get a wicket uh, in the nets, especially the, uh, the under-12 uh, B team that come down on a Wednesday uh, at 7.30. I, I think you put them through their, their paces, but every time you, you get a wicket in, in those training sessions, it still means quite a lot to you, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm old school like that. You've got to earn your stripes um, and, you know, you've got to keep these young pups in their place. Um and within reason, make sure that they're hungry and coming back for more because it's getting more and more that they hit me uh, out the park more than it used to be. So the tide is turning and the, and the, <laughs> and the balance is shifting. So I'm going to enjoy those under 12 wickets for as, as long as I possibly can. <laughs> well, we're, we're coming to a close here, Pat. So we have a couple of questions that we do like to ask everyone, getting a little bank of knowledge and uh, over the ECC past. And those questions are a favourite away ground, best tee, and then a match you remember. But for the match, I'm going to handicap you. You are not allowed to pick the national win. Uh, so we're getting to the end now, perhaps, but there is a couple of questions that we do like to ask everyone, and that's favourite away ground, best match tee, and a match you remember. Okay, so favourite ground, easy. That's Ealing. Uh, I'm not even going to entertain any other ground. Um, Favourite tees? I mean, difficult one. I enjoy a nice briar at Twickenham. is always a good one. Uh, a favourite of mine. And then a favourite game? Anyone that I've played with you, Mungo. Uh, they're always the most entertaining. Um, I've always enjoyed standing at slip and taking some screams off you, so I'm going to go with that. There is a game, actually, and I won't get a chance to tell this story in another pod, I don't think. There is a game I remember, which is um, our second national triumph uh, with Berkshire. And um, we were chasing 100 to win in the fourth innings. And I just thought we were going to breeze this. Like, this is with such a stacked batting lineup. Suddenly, we were like, we were 50 for, 50 for six. And and you got a terrible LBW decision, and we were 60 for seven. And I remember coming in at 90 for nine. At the other end is Jack Davies on 40 not out. And he said, I, I came down the pitch to have a chat with him before it happened. This bloke's taken like six wickets already. And my throat was so dry, I could barely speak to him. Maybe 300, 400 people around the rope. And he just said, bloke's bowling slow out swing, just play late, play straight. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Right, ball comes down and I'm, oh my God, I've got leg stump half volley first up. It's basically six to win. This, there, isn't a, there isn't a square leg. This is four. And I go hard. I get a leading edge and bounces maybe half a foot in front of the bowler. It would have been first baller with everything out the window. Anyway, we end up winning by one run. Um, but that is a match with you that I remember. That's for sure. And there's a wonderful video of you all on the rope 
celebrating the end of that win, which I have on my phone. It was never in doubt, Mungo. Never in doubt. None of us, apart from you, had a dry throat, that's for sure. Mungo, that was a great story. I've won seven league titles with Peps. Thank you. <laughs> you're both great humans and serious cricketers. Oh, you're far too kind, Peps. It's been an absolute honour. And I'll say, from my perspective, you two were the two coaches I had when, when I arrived at Elite at 10 years old. So to do this with you is, is a real treat to both of you. I look forward to seeing you both in the flesh over the summer at some stage. Guys, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. It's been great to reminisce and, and, and look back on uh, what was a fantastic career at Ealing CC. And uh, hopefully I'll be down there this summer to uh, catch up with you all. So take care, lads. Uh, to end on that, Mum, just a little point. It's amazing how cricket brings friends together. And through Ealing Career Club and a little meeting on Cape Town Beach, I've made uh, one of my best mates for life. And I love you, Christopher, and I mean that. And thank you for your time. Pleasure. So good to hear from Peps. I mean, at the end of that interview, you could, you could hear how appreciative we both were of him spending his time talking to us. Uh, we did record that a, a couple of weeks ago now, and, and we hope he's doing very well. We hope he enjoys the episode. If you're listening, Peps, which he absolutely won't be. <laughs> Absolute um, pleasure speaking to him. And he, he, he has been around, and, and as you know, Mung done so much for the club and um, an absolute uh, hero and one of the one of the best spinners I've ever played with. Fact. So um, yeah, great to hear from him. There. It's my favourite time of the episode now, Lee. It's Ask ECC, and we've had we've had more questions rolling in. People have been desperate to hear from us. People have been desperate, and we're going to crack straight on with a question from Ferrazio seventy five, and the question is, what is the funniest on field moment you've experienced playing for the ECC? Oh, I mean, that's quite a tough one. I will, I will tell you a, I will tell you a funny, a funny moment that happened by pure chance, and then just became became a thing. Um, David Holt was struggling to win the toss at some stage uh, during the season, and I said to him, I said, I, I almost guarantee this will work. Um, I said, if you have a quick look at my nuts uh, before you go out and uh, do the toss, I can guarantee you are going to, to win the toss. So he had a quick peek and out he went. And then he slowly walked back with this big smile on his face. Um, and he'd won his first toss. Uh, we then decided to do that for the rest of the season. And the only toss that he didn't win was when I was on my caravan holiday and he didn't see my nuts in person. Fact, true story. What? True story. If you speak to David. Ballpark, how many tosses was that in a row that he won? I want to say it would have been round 11 at least what? in a row. Yeah. You have magical balls. Oh, magical balls. It's, uh, yeah. And did I, you I get... I it a few years ago, but it didn't work. But so for that, for that season, yeah, Holt had to look at my nuts and we were guaranteed we were going to either bat or ball. It made no difference about doing the toss. It was just a, it was just a given. Well, I'm not following that. Ryan Farrell throwing up at extra covers got nothing in that. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be fair, my story was the nuts. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Okay, onwards. Alex Fell 42. He's coming with a question. He says, Who's the better changing room, Wilkin? Ooh. I feel like I'm I'm pretty confident in my answer. I guess it depends what you're looking for in a changing room, in a changing room character. Is it cleanliness? I mean, there's got to be some some rig things going on there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it also depends what mood you're in. 
if you just need to be chilled out and you just want to have a nice chat about planes and really boring stats and stuff, Milo is definitely your man. If you're looking for a bit of entertainment, some utter ridiculous chat that makes no sense whatsoever, Ollie's your boy. I will say, though, Ollie's area that he has in the change room, and I think, Mungo, you'll agree with me, is just a mess. It is a disgrace. It's an absolute disgrace. His error, even, even on Saturday, straight back into his old ways, stuff was ever at Milo. During the game, very messy. And then by the end, he's tidied it all up. I guess that does come with getting out for one, though. You do have plenty of time. I mean, there is that. But, uh, you know, on, on the flip side as well, I'd rather shower with Milo as well. That's just, just so you know. Henry underscore Anton underscore has fired in a question as well. And he has asked... Combined figures of none for 60 at the weekend. How are the bodies and minds at Pod HQ? How dare he? I mean, I refuse, I refuse to take part in answering this question because it's, I mean, what? You're wasting my time. I'm, I'm just superhuman me. I feel great. After you get through eight overs on, on no knees, for him to then come in and ask that is, oh, that pitch report better be good next week in their first preseason game is all I'm going to say. To be honest, if, that, if, that's, if, that, if that's a standard of his question, we'll, we'll refuse to answer any more, I think, Mungo. We'll draw a line under that. Hmm. But to answer his question, you know, I'm actually struggling a little bit. And I'm, oh, yeah, I'm all right. I'm actually, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm doing <all> right. <laughs> Which is weird. <laughs> but yeah, but thanks, Henry, for your concern. Thanks, mate. Yeah, exactly right. Cassidy underscore Michael underscore. Final question of the pod. He has said, has the issue of women's tees been resolved? Will they have them provided this year? It's an excellent question. I mean, I'm still, I'm still shocked. Um, and all, all I can remember from, from Kat is saying that if she doesn't uh, remember her jelly babies, it literally ruins a whole day. I do think we need to uh, bring this up with, um, with the uh, club um, captain, Chris. Oh, we, we never hear from him, so it'll be quite Ooh, difficult. No, no, think. no. Yes, you remind me. What? I did actually have some contact with club captain Christian Martin this week. Oh, I am sitting down, by the way. I'm sitting down. I'm ready. I did. I got to chat to Christian this week and I asked him what he'd been up to this winter. Christian, what have you been up to this winter? Uh, a little bit of housekeeping. Thanks, mate. Um, I hope to see you very soon and best luck with, with the rest of the housekeeping. And, and that's it. That's the end of the episode. This is undoubtedly our, our longest episode yet. And I hope you guys, those of you that stuck with us to the end, thank you very much. And there's more where this came from. Now that we're getting all these games coming in, there's just more content to come. Can't wait to hear some more post-match roundups from the ones, twos and threes on a Saturday evening. We'll be back with you with more stuff next Thursday night training. Hope to hear from more people, people we haven't heard from yet. Maybe a couple of new faces. Went through this whole episode without mentioning a couple of the new faces. Your Glens, your Bobbies. It's very exciting. Lee? That's all from me. And that's all from me. Good night. Good night. The ECC Podcast.